Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me join with Reagan. It is such a blessing uh, to see this many people in this room today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks to those who are joining us online as well. And to those of you who were part of our Bible classes the previous hour, in our adult Bible classes, we are reflecting upon those great one another passages in the New Testament, ties, I think, in beautiful ways uh, to this series we're walking through in our assemblies. If you're joining us online, uh, those lessons are also available online, and we would encourage you to uh, log on and listen to those lessons along the way as we continue these series together. Let me invite you to pray with me as we begin our study this morning. Oh God, we're so grateful to be able to call you our Father and our God. Uh, just as we have voiced it in words in the songs this morning, we praise you for being a God of grace and power and mercy. God, we praise your name in all the earth. May every step we take, may every day we live, uh, be a reflection of our praise and our adoration to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, let me invite you again this morning to listen to the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, these words are not on the screen. I simply want to read and ask you to let the words sink into your hearts and minds this morning. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who uh, mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you happen to be joining us for the first time today, today is actually the fourth lesson in a series that we have titled, Near. What does it mean to be present in a messy world? In fact, as we begin this morning, there are a number of words that we could use to describe the world in which we live. Uh, for example, I think we need to be reminded often that we live in a beautiful world. Uh, the beauty of creation, the beauty of mountains and valleys, of sunrises and sunsets. For those of us who've enjoyed the privilege of traveling to different parts of our country and to other countries of the globe, God created a masterpiece, including West Texas. When he created this world, God created a masterpiece. We live in a beautiful world. In the words of Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we need to be reminded of the beauty of life itself, the beauty of relationships, the incredible diversity that we see among human beings and yet the incredible capacity to affirm that all of us were created in the very image of God. We live in a beautiful world. 
But we also live in a messy world, a world marred by sin, and we have seen that far too often in our lifetimes, and quite frankly, we have seen that far too often in recent days. A lack of respect for human life, injustice and violence toward those who do not have a voice for themselves, violence toward those who get up every morning to protect our well-being. We live in a messy world where even the language we use often encourages hatred rather than love, hatred rather than peace. And while we've talked about it in recent days, I suspect that far, far too often we see that on platforms like social media where hatred rather than love is what we see voiced. And we live in a world itself where even creation, creation according to Romans chapter 8, creation that groans in anticipation for the coming of Jesus in a world where even creation itself reminds us that right now we live in a messy world. And so we watch the fires on the west coast that have left thousands homeless and entire communities destroyed, hurricanes that have washed away homes and businesses on the Gulf Coast, and we've seen the loss of life in all of those situations. We live in a messy world. And the question is, as followers of Jesus, what does it mean to be present in this messy world, to be present in ways that honor God, to be present in ways that call people to the kingdom of God, to be present in ways, as we voiced it last Sunday, that call us back to the world that God imagined from the very beginning. Well, let me come at it from another angle for just a moment this morning. We talk often in church about the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, becoming human. All four Gospels give attention, not just to the birth of Jesus, but to his life and ministry, and then ultimately to his death and his resurrection. I especially love the way the Gospel of John talks about the incarnation. The Word became flesh, chapter 1 tells us, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Or as many of us have really grown to appreciate the wording of the message, uh, the paraphrase, the translation of that same verse, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And so here's my question. What kind of words would you use to describe Jesus, to describe the incarnation, to describe the one who became flesh and blood? What kind of words would you use to describe the life of Jesus? In fact, let me invite you to take just a moment and reflect on that very question. Those of you in this room, you may want to interact with some of those who are sitting close to you. If you're watching us online, and you're with others, then perhaps with that group. But take about 60 seconds and reflect on that question. What words would you use to describe the life of Jesus? 60 seconds. Ready, set, go.
And so what words would you use to describe the life, the ministry of Jesus? If we were in a smaller setting, uh, we'd take a number of moments and just allow all of you to share some of those words with us. But growing out of that, your response to the question, let me pose two other questions. Number one, how many of those words, those words you just identified, thought about, shared with others, how many of those words describe your life? Because you see, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be like Jesus. And so, honestly, how many of the words that you just talked about describe your life? Second question, do the following words that I'm about to share with you sound anything at all like the incarnation, sound anything at all about the life and ministry of Jesus? Listen to the words and see if they sound like Jesus to you. And so the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In fact, Jesus became poor in spirit. Jesus agonized over the world. He mourned with those who mourn. He was meek. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. And he was insulted. He was persecuted because of his commitment to righteousness. I don't know about you, but when I begin to think about the Beatitudes from that perspective, that those qualities existed in the life and the ministry of Jesus, when I think about the Beatitudes from that perspective, the Beatitudes take on an entirely different meaning for me. In this series, I've suggested that God looks at those who are poor in spirit those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness. God looks at those folks and he says, blessed are you. Or perhaps even better, God's favor rests on those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek completely upside down to the way the world often thinks, to the way that the world often longs for power, to a world that often aggressively pursues money and power and prestige and position and authority. And, God, and Jesus says, let me tell you folks, God's favor rests on those who are. But to take it even a step further, in the incarnation it's not just that God's favor rests on those kinds of folks who have those kinds of qualities. It is that in the incarnation itself, Jesus steps into our world, identifies with our world, and then hear me clearly, Jesus takes on, Jesus embodies those very qualities. In fact, maybe it would be helpful to think about the words Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2, what we often refer to as the Christ song. Words that likely the early church would have sung together when they were together in one another's presence. Paul says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus in his incarnation embodies those beatitudes. Think about the first two for just a moment. God's favor rests on the poor in spirit. That is exactly the posture that Jesus adopted when he became one of us, the spirit of humility. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. God's favor rests on those who mourn. Jesus chose to become one of us, to identify with us, to grieve over, to mourn over the brokenness in our world. And then God's favor rests on those who are meek. Now, just as we ask Mason in the little video clip that you saw, let me ask you, how would you define the word meek or the word meekness? Because the words sound alike, we may be prone to equate meekness with weakness. Now, I'll say more about weakness in just a couple of moments, but let me quickly, quickly affirm at this point that weakness is not what meekness is all about. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, someone who demonstrates meekness is demonstrating extraordinary strength, though perhaps not in the way that we usually think about when we think about the word strength or the word power. In fact, the Greek term that is translated meek in Matthew chapter 5 in this beatitude is a word that would have been used in that first century context at times to describe wild animals who have been tamed. A wild animal with extraordinary strength, but strength that may be out of control. A wild animal that has been tamed and brought under control. And so when we talk about someone who is meek, we're not talking about someone who is weak, but rather in the context of following Jesus, we're talking about someone who has surrendered to the will of God, someone who is approachable, someone who is gentle, who is kind, who is humble. Hear me very carefully. Someone who is willing to become weak not in the ways that we typically think about weakness, but someone who is willing to become weak for the sake of loving and serving others. Because you see, at the very heart of meekness is the idea of being willing to die to yourself, which is exactly what Jesus did. Willing to die to himself, willing to become weak, but again, not in the ways we typically think about weakness. Willing to become meek for our sake. Might pose the question as we think about a definition, what are some words that communicate a posture that is opposite of meekness? And maybe we would include words like arrogance or pride, someone who just really wants to be in control, someone who in fact would take advantage of others because of their position. Flip side of that, what are some words that communicate the idea of meekness in a more biblical way? And as I think about that word meekness, the word that comes to my mind is the word gentle. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are gentle. And so I might even pose the question, asking you to reflect on this question as I continue to talk. Who is the most gentle person 
you have ever known? Who's the most gentle person you have ever known? When I think about that question, I think of folks like Mac Lynn, one of my professors in graduate school, just had this incredibly gentle spirit in everything he did. I think about Danny Williams, who served as a shepherd at Monterey for many years. One of the most gentle shepherds I've ever been around, as gentle a person as anyone I've ever known. Who is the most gentle person you know? And then, do you consider that person weak or strong? Because, you see, the people I would describe as gentle are some of the strongest people I know. Again, not in the ways that we would usually use a word like strength or power, but rather this incredible strength, this incredible ability to navigate tough moments, to navigate difficult conversations, to be a peacemaker when chaos results, to pursue justice when folks are taken advantage of. In fact, as we continue to think about the Beatitudes, do you see the connection that exists between all of them? None of them stand in isolation. Blessed are those who are meek or gentle. Those are the kind of folks who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who pursue peace, who have purity of heart. And so blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Again, typically, we think of those who are powerful being the ones who will inherit the earth, who will be in control. But Jesus says, no, the ones who will inherit the earth, the ones who will receive what is at the very heart of the kingdom of God are those who are meek, those who are gentle, those who are humble, those who are kind, those who are willing to walk alongside those who are brokenhearted. Meekness is all about submission to the will of God. No matter what position we may find ourselves in life, Paul's Christ song would urge us to not consider that position as something to be used to our own advantage, but like Jesus, we're willing to humble ourselves. We would pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so in that great Christ song in Philippians 2, again, a song the early church would have sung, Paul actually prefaces that song by saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, again, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In fact, let me go back to the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. Please, please hear these words in a world where we often only think about ourselves and where we're prone to want to take advantage of the position in which we find ourselves. Paul would say, no, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and with all of these phrases, it's almost like Paul is stopping to say, okay, reflect on that for a moment. Do you really have any encouragement from being united with Christ? If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. 
one other text because you see this kind of life is a life that is fully submissive to the Spirit of God, where we are led by the Spirit of God. And some of you may recall lessons that we shared together earlier this year where we talked about what it is to be a a Spirit-filled church, what it is to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, it's the kind of church, it's the kind of community where the Spirit of God grows the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's what meekness is all about, that we are gentle, that we exercise self-control. Like a wild animal that has been tamed, the Spirit of God is doing an amazing work in our lives. Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. You see, again, meekness is the idea of we've, we've died to self. We've become gentle. And so since we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. As we walk through these Beatitudes together, let me simply ask, are you noticing, are you watching the progression that is going on? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are willing to empty themselves, who recognize their absolute dependence on God, who do not use their position in life to their own advantage. Blessed are those who mourn, the progression, those who have denied themselves, now step back into the world and mourn with those who mourn. Like Jesus, we walk alongside those who are brokenhearted, those who have no one to speak for themselves, those who are struggling with sin. Blessed are those who mourn. And then today, blessed are the meek, the gentle. Do you see the progression? Because you see, it's those kind of folks who have emptied themselves, who are kind. They are the kind of folks who ultimately hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is where we're headed next Sunday. Aaron Dawson will take us there next Sunday. But the promise is, as we anticipate that beatitude, the promise is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be filled with. In a world that is filled with or longs to be filled with so many things, there is only one thing that will truly fill us up, and that is the righteousness of God. Jesus, who gives us living water where we never thirst again. Jesus, who is the bread of life so that we are never hungry again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so may we be humble. May we humble ourselves daily in order that we might be people who mourn with and that we might be people who are gentle in the way we draw near to others in this messy world. Because that is exactly what our world needs, a community, a people who are gentle. Let me close with this question and, in fact, this challenge. When folks look at the church when folks look at the body of Christ, when folks look at the Monterey Church, and the question posed might be something like, so what are words that you would use to describe the Monterey Church? I would hope that folks would say, 
Those folks are gentle. Those folks are kind. Those folks are folks who understand what true strength and true weakness are all about. May we take that as the challenge for this week and for, quite frankly, the rest of our lives. Blessed are those who are meek, those who are gentle, for they are the ones who will inherit the earth. Would you pray with me? God, I can't speak for others in this room, but I know for me to talk about being meek and gentle can sometimes be an incredible challenge because I want to be in control. And so, God, would you help us today to be submissive, to be people of gentleness and kindness and goodness, even as we honor your goodness, O oh God, and we allow your goodness to call us to be the same kind of people. May that be the prayer of our lives today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.